Hey, everybody, and welcome to another rousing episode of Was That Really Necessary? Uh, this is the podcast where we take a look at sequels, prequels, uh, you know, maybe some uh, remakes, some reboots, whatever we need to do. And we ask the titular question, was that really necessary? Today, I am follow- followed by, no, I am not followed by, I'm joined by my lovely and talented co-host, Paul Abishan. How are you now? Uh, feel like following right now, I guess. No, I'm great. I'm great. I'm uh, I'm very excited for this one. This is this is going to be a good, good, fun time. I mean, you did follow me. I was the first one to speak, I guess. I just uh, yeah, followed. I, mean, I don't know why. You're not a follower. You definitely aren't. Uh, so today, what we do, if you've never listened to this, is we take a look at a movie and then we watch the remake, the reboot, or maybe it was a sequel or a prequel that took a long time to come out there. And what we do is we try to weigh the two against each other, see if this was something that was really great, if it's an abomination that you actually would think to redo this to a classic movie, or if it was just kind of a, yeah, I bet we can make money off nostalgia. Let's, let's do that. Today, this was Paul's choice and we get to watch and discuss the Karate Kid from 1984 and the remake Karate Kid from 2010. Paul, quick uh, quick question for you. Why did you choose these? Did you just uh, kind of pick them out of the random? Were these things that were big for you as a kid? What, what was the rationale there? That was a good question. Good question. I'd like to go into this a little bit. So this is actually one of the first movies that we've done that has not only a remake, but a recent reboot in the form of obviously the TV series Cobra Kai. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, it, we would be doing some disjustice, or at least I feel that way, that if we didn't at least talk a little bit about Cobra Kai, mm-hmm. um, we really wouldn't be doing the original Karate Kid justice in relevance to some of the discussions on how that has affected us as a culture. Uh-huh. So needless to say, I started Cobra Kai, uh, a flood of nostalgia, childhood all came rushing back. Mm-hmm. I've been, I, I went a little overboard and watched obviously one through three. Uh, and discussing this earlier. <laughs> yeah. And then did, did obviously fulfill the, the rest of the requirement and watch, um, yeah, the the newest uh, one with Jaden Smith. So mm. those are the ones I think two main ones we'll obviously uh, talk about, but we would be doing some disservice to not at least talk about uh, some of the other movies that come into play as we look at Cobra Kai and, and where we are with that today. All right. Well, uh, I believe, as we usually do, we'll start right off with the 1984 version. Paul, would you like to give anybody who may not have seen the movie or maybe doesn't remember it quite so well uh, a quick rundown of what happens in the 1984 version of Karate Kid? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, A young gangly boy by the name of Daniel LaRusso, uh, him and his mom moved from New Jersey to Los Angeles. So obviously fish out of water right away. He's got the traditional east coast accent um he's clearly playing that stereotypical east coast italian boy who is all of a sudden thrown into the valley um of of los angeles and he is clearly just not in his comfort zone uh he tries to meet some folks ends up meeting a girl uh then that turns into him meeting her ex-boyfriend johnny lawrence uh, who's part of the local gang karate bullies. 
Uh, and they really just pick on Daniel, beat the living crap out of him several times over until uh, all of a sudden this this guy, the handyman, if you will, at his apart at Daniel's apartment complex saves him. His name's Mr. Miyagi. We're all pretty familiar with, with Mr. Miyagi, I'm I'm assuming. I thought it was pronounced uh, Miyagi. It is Miyagi. Oh, oh, I was pronouncing it wrong this whole yeah. time. Um, so eventually they try to Daniel wants to learn karate because he wants to stop getting his butt kicked. Uh tries to meet, go to this dojo, Cobra Kai. Uh meets the terrible terrible sensei uh john crease and ends up training under mr miyagi to fight johnny lawrence for the hand of the girl and the pride and at the all state all conference karate championship and from the movie it sounds like karate's kind of Karate in the early 80s in Southern California is compared to like football in East Texas. Like yeah, this is really this is. is it. This is what you do. So eventually he trains under Mr. Miyagi. They fight. It's the famous crane kick. Obviously, we want to dive into that in some regard. But Daniel wins, beats Johnny. Um, Cobra Kai leaves in shame. And... Yep, that's pretty much the movie. Daniel wins the the heart of the lady, if you will, uh, who is again the, the some really bigger stars at the time or mm -hmm. bigger stars to come out of this. Um, the love interest Allie is Elizabeth Shue. Um, I know. I, th I thought that was funny. I'd completely forgotten about that. <laughs> Yeah, and this was one of her more early roles. Uh, I think this was before Adventures in Babys Adventures in Babysitting. Um, obviously, before her Oscar nominations and all the 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 future roles that she was in. But you also have Pat Moriata, who played Mr. Miyagi, but was also back from the Happy Days. I mean, this was uh, in the in the late '80s. He was a household name um, just from being on the Happy Days. I think he was on for five years, if not longer. So it, it, he was a perfect role uh, for this movie and, and Ralph Macchio uh, playing Daniel. And I think he's pretty much kind of lived that that Daniel son reputation since this. Yeah, I mean, uh, and going back to Elizabeth Shue, I mean, this is really this is her third credited role outside of the 1982 Burger King Christmas commercial. Uh, but there was a TV movie that she was in called The Royal Romance of Charles and Diana. Then Somewhere Tomorrow uh, was a movie, and then it was The Karate Kid. So, you know, like this is early, early stuff for her before she's hitting it like, you know, huge in the 80s. Um, yeah, Machio, this is obviously his star making role that he does. And I mean, realistically, does anybody really remember him from much of anything else i mean he had obviously the other stuff um he had done the outsiders right before this so that was you know it was starting to get a little big i guess but uh you know this is this is what i think everybody thinks of him outside of maybe uh you know my cousin Vinny, which is what i generally remember him from i was gonna say that's uh, the only <laughs> other movie that comes to my mind but the, the outsiders yes but it, it, my cousin Vinny. uh that's exactly. really the only other like star-studded Ralph Macchio movie that I could think of. Um, and I hadn't, I hadn't seen anything or I hadn't remembered any seeing anything outside of, and now that you mentioned Happy Days, of course, I was like, oh yeah, I used to watch that. But like Pat Morita, uh, I had to look up 
some interviews with him just because I was like, God, what does he even really sound like? And it is really funny watching that immediately after, you know, his accent in <laughs> in this because he's just a California guy that is Asian. And so his accent is yes. very, very funny. <laughs> He, I was gonna. I'm glad you mentioned that. He is kind of always portrayed as this stereotypical Japanese man with mm -hmm. this Japanese accent, and he's he's was born in California. He, like you said, he's mm -hmm. a California guy. Um, so that always really cracked me up when because I think he is become this cultural icon for mentor sensei when you think of karate you think of mr miyagi and yeah yeah just just that alone i always found really really entertaining well and it's it's just really funny too because like I, I was watching a couple of interviews with him about being cast in this movie and he was like they they went through so many casting calls for all of these uh, all of these roles and his in particular they just could not find anybody that they really wanted that they felt had the gravitas or anything like that and they had skipped over him multiple times because he was primarily comedic and a stand-up comedian um so they didn't want him they didn't think that he would be able to pull it off and then they finally were able to like get him in there because the i believe the director the director or producer i can't remember which one really really wanted him and really was pushing for him and they finally allowed him to like come in and read for it and then obviously ended up being this hugely iconic role and it was incredible but you know like it was just this weird like yeah nobody really actually wanted him to to be in this initially and it's funny how that type you know it's one of those classic you know, just stories that worked out incredible, uh, incredibly well yeah. for everybody. But it was just just weird to to hear him again talk with no accent whatsoever. Very entertaining. <laughs> and while we're on, while we're talking about him, I think it's really important to talk about the fact that he was nominated for an Oscar for this, right? And he had very little lines. Um, he really wasn't in the movie a ton, but mm -hmm. there was one scene in particular, um, the anniversary, his anniversary, yep, yep. Uh, as he calls it, and he's just shit hammered on Saki. And that's where you learn his backstory about his wife and his child that died. Um, well, she gave birth while in a Japanese concentration camp here in America and no one came to, to help her and they both passed away. And it's this just gut wrenching scene um, from this man who, you know, there's more to his story, hmm. but he's played this very just straight faced um, kind of unbreakable person with very little emotion to, just lay everything on the table in that scene and as as much as it is sad and depressing and heartfelt and just a fantastic scene he still ends it in kind of this comedic way of just passing passing right out just punching over and just dropping the bottle and falling over and it's almost it's it borderline slapstick for me in a positive way mm -hmm. where, you know, how do you end that? Like, how do you end this tragic story? You, you just pass out. Like that's really all there is to it. And it's, um, it, they wanted to cut that just from a few, several sources and articles. I read the original producers and did not want that scene in there. Um, director fought for it to be in there and I, I 
I mean, he he did not win, but he was nominated for an Oscar. And again, I mean, if the old lady from Titanic can win it for being in there for five minutes, then uh, I don't understand why he he can't be <laughs> couldn't have won. But right, um, well, I mean, it, it's it, it's an incredible scene. It is something that I have to completely confess. I, so I haven't watched this movie since I was a child. This is another one of those that it was just like, oh, man, I should revisit that. Uh, I must confess this movie holds almost no nostalgia for me. I remember seeing it a couple times as a kid. I was not a kid person that, you know, like saw it on TV a whole lot. We did not have this on VHS. So this was a, a kind of a welcome rewatch for me. And we think it to that scene. I was just like, I completely forgot that this was a thing, which makes sense as a kid, right? You don't remember the super tight right. emotional scene there. You remember the fucking crane kick and him being dressed up as a shower and all these other things. And it was just like, oh man, like Pamarita kind of kicks ass in this scene. <laughs> God damn right. it, man. Like it was really good. And it was a nice depth to the character because one of the things that I want to talk about is I, I like this movie. Uh, again, there's no nostalgia for me going back and rewatching it. It's, it's a very nice time capsule of the eighties, which is a nice way of saying, holy shit is this movie eighties, but I can, whatever. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. That is what it is. Right. We knew what we were getting into. Uh, but it's just this really welcome change of pace in this movie where uh, to be perfectly honest, most of the characters are extraordinarily one dimensional. And without that scene, Mr. Miyagi becomes a very one dimensional character. Suddenly, however, after that scene, he transforms into this, tragic person you understand why he's doing these things you understand that he's trying to reclaim his lost time with a son that he never got to know his um you know like helping out somebody when his wife was you know not being helped these things that you kind of start to un unravel where it's like oh he was a loner but this kid is somehow getting to him that's fucking great like this everything moves from grumpy old man into man with actual incredible emotional stakes in this and you know very very great depth to the character um i think you know ralph macchio's character has some pretty decent depth but he's mostly angsty teen right you know like but which is which is right. fine he's he, that's he's the main character you kind of want to project yourself onto him as a teenager this is angsty teen boy um the mom has some interesting quirks i like her and then elizabeth shoe has a decent character uh, that's where every characterization stops outside of rich asshole uh karate asshole um rich karate asshole like that's really all there is to it to everybody so, else in there and that's yeah. it was very 80s it's a very 80s you know like movie like that so i i guess i kind of understand it <laughs> yeah and and you're not wrong and so i'm going to divert but i want to come back to some things but sure. Those whole the, what I think has made Cobra Kai so successful is that it actually all those terrible, horrible people you just mentioned, John Creasy, Johnny, mm -hmm. all his friends, they, it's about them and it right. gives their backstory and depth and character. And at times you feel bad for them, at times you, you, you hate their guts. Um, but all the cameos, I can't, I don't want to ruin things, but you know, everybody comes back, um, in some <laughs> form or fashion. Uh, but it, again, I, I do, I, I wholeheartedly agree with you. And I think that's been my personal draw to Cobra Kai is because it starts out not with Ralph Macchio, not with Elizabeth Shue, but with Billy Zapka. 
and his backstory and why he's an asshole and why all like why he got there. And it's really, really cool to see more depth and character. And again, you have different feelings. So anyway, that aside, I'm sorry to go on the Cobra Kai tangent. <laughs> um, again, uh, the the thing that that really draws me because I do have nostalgia to this movie mm-hmm. is the cultural footprint it's left on at least our generation um from cloud the cloud you know wax on wax off yeah i mean mm-hmm. it, it's been it's been parodied it's been used it's been overdone so many times at least through cartoons whatever references i mean that's that's where it comes from that's where wax on wax off comes from mm-hmm. uh you then have the thing that really sticks with me and even as an adult is this is the first you're the best fight montage the song you're the best um has been used in every fight montage from beginning of the song coming out it will this was it this is where it comes from and it's been mm-hmm. parodied in everything i mean I, you know what other fight <laughs> montage doesn't use this uh, for joking I mean, south park it. used it for fuck's sake you know stan's dad sings it when he's the super fan and he's fighting and sings it to himself you're the best around and it was just like that's uh yeah i actually have that in my notes just in all caps you're the best around hound i actually yes. spelled it out not just around around hound <laughs> this is it this is where that came from this was the first movie to use it this was the, this was that origin if i think any i if anything comes out of this movie that still has left that imprint on what we see today i think it's that personally well, um and- I, I, I want to interject one thing in here too. Was I as I was watching this, I'm I'm watching it and I'm going like, God, there's just freaking training montages and everything. I'm like, God, this is this reminds me a whole shitload about of of Rocky. Well, duh, duh. it's the same fucking director. <laughs> I like never piece that together because I again and Rocky's another one where I'm not I don't have this huge great nostalgia for because we just didn't watch it as kids. So it was just like, well, duh, that makes a whole lot more sense, which also makes a lot more sense too about the karate kid it, it has some really great there's there's really well-timed shots in there i was actually noticing some of the cinematography pulling through there was like some really interesting things that were done good camera movement well well produced and everything like that and montages fucking montages and i'm like all well, of them. who else Just all the, of them. the man who has you know like perfected the art of the montage uh, you know, John G. Avelson. Uh, yeah, of course it was fucking him that did this. Did it? Of course, I should have known that, and I just couldn't believe that. I was like, why did I never connect that before? This is I feel like an idiot. <laughs> yeah, I have that huge here in my notes. He he did all th- the first three. He did all three Ralph Macchio ones. Um, where unlike Rocky, they kind of changed some directors throughout that. But he well, he ended up he, picking up Rocky Five, I think. Was it? Yeah, Rocky yeah. One and Rocky Five. As oh, a director, so that's a that's a different podcast for a different day. Yeah, <laughs> he's also but, slated to direct the Karate Kid too. Uh, right now, like like they are going to make another Karate Kid supposedly, and uh, he's he's slated to direct it. Uh, there's no no date on it yet, but that's the uh, the the potential there for it, which I was thought was pretty fucking hilarious that they're like oh that first one nah let's see if we can bring back the og (laughs) yeah and i feel like that's what kind of cobra kai did is i think that 
the new one opened up some curiosity and it did peak interest. I mean, it didn't not make money, but mm-hmm. I think it kind of left the door open for these Cobra Kai actors who be honest, weren't doing much. Right. It, it, again, it started as YouTube series that was bought by Netflix. So it's a different backstory, but again, I digress. Um, <laughs> The the director for this was great, but I think it's worth noting the budget for this. Oh, yeah. Again, 1984. Still, we're looking at $8 million to make this movie, which is nothing in movie standards. I, I Even in 1984, isn't a lot of money to make this movie. Uh, opening weekend was $5 million, so it really didn't have a huge opening, and Gross USA was only $91 million. I mean, it made a lot of money, but it wasn't this great, awesome box office movie that everyone loved. I think it was one of those that became kind of a cult classic. They came out with the sequel. The sequel is awesome. I, I honestly am torn between the sequel and the first one as to which one I like more. Uh, he goes to Japan in the second or Okinawa, excuse me, but yeah, it goes to Okinawa. Um, it's a whole crazy, awesome thing that goes over there fights to the death. It's, it's, it's pretty cool. Uh, I mean, there it was in 90 million, which in 1984 terms is pretty big. It was the number five movie of that year, um, preceded only by Beverly Hills Cop, Ghostbusters, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom and Gremlins. So those four all grossed over 100 million, which, again, at the time is just, you know, insane numbers. So it still did well. It beat out, you know, Police Academy, Footloose, Romancing the Stone and Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock. Damn. Even see, Splash. I'm, even beat Splash. Hot damn, my son! This is actually yeah, yeah, this I, one I, time I, in the world that you probably get uh, Ralph Macchio beating Tom Hanks at the box office. <laughs> I mean, that you're talking beating Tom Hanks and Kevin Bacon. If we're talking Footloose in there too, that yeah. one surprises me. That one surprises me. Yeah, so I mean, uh, it made it made a good money. It did not do much for like worldwide gross it was pretty much just all domestic although i don't think there's great numbers from that uh that time but you know like that's that's pretty pretty good but you know especially when you're looking at like numbers relative to nowadays just for inflation that's a big number but you know this was a this was a good hit um i don't think you would find the the as you just aptly described the cultural touchstones showing up until years later right like i don't think anybody thought that wax on wax off was going to stick around the way it did and uh you know the catching the fly with the chopsticks and it was amazing to me again how much i remembered of this movie despite not having that crazy nostalgia or the the great memory for it just like just but being able to pick out moments of it right uh and listening to it it was like all right yeah i guess this this was this was more important than i would have given it credit for had i not watched it now there are also things like must be take a worm for a walk week uh lines in there which was like really what the okay um and I mean, it's it's dreadfully eighties. It is dreadfully eighties. The uh, line that's when they're like, "We're going to the arcade." I was just like, "Oh, I miss arcades." <laughs> I know. Um, well, at this point, I miss any anything. At this well, point. Yeah, let me let me rephrase this, uh, or let me restate that. I guess um, the pandemic notwithstanding, I, I miss arcades. No shit. <laughs> yeah, what well, I wouldn't kill now to go to a mall. Uh, no, right. 
Yeah, it, this is this, and I feel like a lot of people who rewatch this have those similar feelings because it has left that footprint. Mm-hmm. Just certain scenes, lines where you're kind of like, "Oh, yeah, a you're the best fight montage." Yeah. Oh my god, I've seen this in everything from, like you mentioned, South Park to It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. I mean, the, <laughs> tons of comedy shows use this, and really, this is where it it comes from. You have the crane kick. Uh, which is the stupidest karate move in the entire world. Who runs straight at a guy with a broken leg? Like coming from an angle, like you can't move. Uh, well, I would but pretend that maybe the 2010 one is stupider, but I guess technically uh, that's kung fu. So <laughs> uh, oh, we haven't even begun to talk about that. Uh, Sorry, foreshadowing a little bit there. I, I and I yeah to work off of what you're saying yes I I agree and it is it is terribly 80s I have several notes in there of just like some of the lines and some of the things that were happening there um, I guess the the best way I can put it is like man this ain't Shakespeare but it's pretty it's pretty fucking entertaining um, I you know this is a it was like I said it was fun it was fun to go back and rewatch this because I hadn't in such a long time um, I was. Uh, the other thing that I was taken completely aback by that I didn't remember was just like how quickly it ends. It's just like match over credits roll. And I was like, Oh, okay. I guess that's I guess same for done. the new one. Same, <laughs> yeah. same in the new one. It did the same thing. I was like, did I, is there, is there like a post credit? And it's kind of cool in the second one they do in the sequel, they do pick up right in the parking lot of the tournament, which is cool because you do get a little bit of closure because there's like what happened to Johnny. Like he, you know, this losing is not okay. Importantly to the Cobra Kai as John Creasy, what's he going to do? And it was, it was a good scene. It was a good way to start the sequel um, right away. The only thing I I don't want to talk too much about the sequels, but I was watching the third one and I don't Mm -hmm. know if you remember it or, no, I don't know if I've ever on it. I know I've seen one and two. I can't say anything about the others. I probably, honest to God, may not have ever seen number three. Okay. Well, it doesn't matter too much then because anyway, he gets a new sensei because Miyagi can't train him for this big fight. And it's this friend of, it's this friend of John Creasy yeah. and his name is Harry Silver. Well, he's supposed to be this older Vietnam vet that fought in the war with with Creasy, right? Those that have seen the movie know kind of what I'm talking about. He's a year younger than Ralph Macchio in real life. Like that's the only thing. Like you know, going down the train of of everything. Um, that was the only thing that really stuck out as like a blew my mind moment was that this guy is supposed to be this Vietnam vet that is friends and war veteran with creasy yeah. and he's a year younger than ralph macchio in real life so i didn't realize macchio was 23 when he first filmed the the when he filmed the first one and i was like well i mean he looks like he's 16 so that works at least but yeah he was 23 23 yeah. There's a line in the one of the first episodes of Cobra Kai where he makes the reference that it's true is that he is as old now as Miyagi was when he met Daniel for the first time. <laughs> yeah, uh, Pat Randa was 52, which it blew my mind that he was only 52 uh, when that was being filmed because obviously they make him try to make him look older. Uh, Jackie Chan was 56 when the 2010 version came out, and that guy looked like he was about. 15 years younger than Pat Morita did in the original. It was just crazy. 
for real. Yeah, it's it's crazy. I mean, Ralph Macchio's like 56, 58 years old. Good lord. Uh um, crazy. I mean, he I mean, yeah, anyway, aged fantastically. Good for him. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, I I I think that's probably as good a segue as any, you know, we talked about uh, some of the touched on some of the sequels and everything like that, which, you know, the worth noting at least a little bit. And you were able to get in some Cobra Kai's in there, but I think this means that we got to move on to the 2010 version. Ready, set, go. Uh, so I guess I get to be the one to introduce this. Cool. Uh, basically what happens is we have little Will Smith. I mean, sorry, little Willow. Nope. Willow's his sister. It's Jada. No, it's Jaden. Jaden Smith. Jaden Smith. Jaden Smith. We have little Jaden Smith. He and his mom are leaving Detroit, not the East coast. And they are going, and you know, he's from Detroit because he wears a Detroit lions shirt a lot in this movie uh and they are heading to china because his mom got a new job at the chinese car factory that's really all they say about it it's all they Uh, say oh by the way yeah he goes um he starts to get bullied by a couple of kids on the street um he meets jackie chan who is the miyagi of this film and starts training with him um it's pretty much the same thing. He gets trained by Jackie Chan. Jackie Chan has a little bit of a mental breakdown because his wife and son died in a car accident. You find out that his son was near the age that Jaden Smith is now, so he sees a lot of him. And they go to this Kung Fu tournament. Yes, Kung Fu, not karate. That's a whole fucking thing. The Kung Fu kid is the fucking karate kid. Whatever. And then he gets through there. He learns his lesson. He takes off his jacket a bunch of times and that's how he wins the battle because then he can do a spinning flip kick somehow. Is that, did I miss that's something? The thing, I guess it doesn't kid. fucking matter. That's it. it that's, it's just, it's, the movie. it's, it, it, it's I, so there's a lot of argument that it's, not a remake because the style of fighting is different. Okay, that is 100% true. They do Kung Fu. Uh, he knows Kung Fu. Uh, but it's... In fucking Keanu, I can tell you that much. It's the same movie, though. He meets a it's girl. It's called the, the Karate Kid. It's it's called the Karate Kid. I know. <laughs> it's, it's, it is... Okay, it's like, take the first one, put it in China, and the the main character's black. That's that's what they and they made them twelve year olds instead of whatever eighteen I guess was whatever they were supposed to be in the first one they they made them twelve year olds. It is immensely uncomfortable to watch twelve uh, year olds beat each other up because it is not impactful. I have no real thought that these kids could actually do much damage. Uh, it is real weird to watch a blossoming twelve year old fucking romance starts not something i want to watch and also one of my notes right away in the beginning was like wait are we gonna watch jackie chan beat up 12 year olds the answer is yeah 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 that's gonna happen at some point like he doesn't necessarily beat them up but he engages in fisticuffs with like children children uh this these are i'm glad you brought this up right away these are the difference is, like you mentioned, we're talking 20 to 23-year-olds, kind of that typical, you're not in high school, but yeah. these are children. Like, they have no muscle mass. They're mm-hmm. children. Uh, Jane Smith just 
is a little stickly character. And I don't know. I just, the being from Detroit seemed very stereotypical. Uh, it's the very same kind of precedent though. There's the love story. He, the bullies pick on her and he tries to defend them. Well, now he's sucked into this grudge and it, even Jackie Chan takes him to the karate suit, just like Miyagi did with Daniel. It's this, I don't know, fighting style aside, it's like this same movie. The I was going to say, I don't know how you could argue that this isn't a remake because it hits every single same fucking story beat down to the, like, you know, old uh, sensei has a fucking breakdown about something else that happened. He's even fixing up a car, although he doesn't get to give a car to him like they do in The Karate Kid because... Again, he's 12, so fuck is he going to do with a car in Beijing? He's, they just, there's a car in his living room. He beats it up. Yeah, and I don't know if that's like I fix it up every year just to beat it up, and that's kind of what it sounded like to me. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The one thing I will say that I do like about this movie is there I learned some stuff about Chinese culture. Just uh, when they move into the apartment, there's things mm-hmm. that they don't understand like there's a electricity card and yeah and the hot water have, switch and yeah all that was really interesting i had i just i had to google some of these things to learn more and it piqued my interest in some regards and but other than that i can't say i'm like a super big fan of this movie uh i mean let's the the obvious thing to point out is right away they said it in they said it in china and moved it to kung fu all right it, I let's just it's a total fucking play on the Chinese audience. Everybody knows right now that in order to make your money, you need to make worldwide box office and the biggest possible market out there is China. So the best way to pander to them is, oh, well, it's not a Japanese person. It's a Chinese guy and it's Jackie Chan, who everybody, you know, like in America and China loves. And they're just going to put him out there and Will Smith's kid because he can't act, but he's Will Smith's kid. Let's just get him out there. Like everything about this just screamed, we need international box office, not a, we want to make a good movie. It's, we want to make something that has some recognition and let's slap a couple of actors that might have some international renown in there. Voila. You have the karate kid 2010. (laughs) Well, and I know there were certain scenes, especially while filming around the Great Wall, which was uh, visually really cool. Yeah. Uh, you're not allowed to do that, apparently. You're not allowed to film around there. You're not allowed to fly drones because it's a no air fly zone. And because Jackie Chan is such a big star there, they made a lot of concessions for this movie just because he's Jackie Chan. Yeah. So visually, I think there's a lot of really cool scenes in this movie just surrounding the Forbidden Garden, just Chinese temples. Like I said, the Great Wall. Uh, there's a there's a lot of visually cool scenery in this. When again, the goal of what we're doing is to compare some of the two movies. I, I mean, the first one was trashy ass L.A. That's true. <laughs> So I mean, LA is not exactly something great to look at. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, and it's it, visually, this movie was really cool. Was. Uh, there was, there were some good scenes. So I, I definitely think the acting was shit. Um, 
Jane Smith is just trying to be his and I get it. He's your dad. Like you have his mannerisms. You are going to be like him, but it's just everything from the sideway looks to the smart ass comments. Everything was just like, okay, you're just, I'd rather just watch your dad do a movie. Um, yep. It was pretty, it was pretty satisfying to watch him get hit with a ping pong ball repeatedly. Um, it was in that scene that was entertaining. And, in, in fairness to the scene that I mentioned before about Jackie Chan beating up a bunch of 12 year olds, um, to your point, he does it really well. He does it in a very Jackie Chan esque way, right? Where he's not actually punching them. That actually happens at one point in the scene. He has this opportunity where it freezes, where he's about to punch a kid. And instead he Kung Fu's his way into making another kid slap him in the face. He basically uses them all to hit each other, which that got pretty satisfying, especially when he like picked one kid up and used him as basically a club against other kids. And but it was when you look at it, too, especially if you look at any sort of Jackie Chan's filmography, that's a very Jackie Chan esque fight scene. So I wouldn't be surprised if he had some hand in choreographing that because that did bring a bit of a smile to my face. That was I would have watched that. I would have watched a lot more of Jackie Chan beating up 12 year olds than whatever the hell else happened in this movie, because honestly, I finished up a quick rewatch of the last like 10 minutes of this shortly before we got on here. Cause I was like, wait, what did happen? I watched it two days ago and it was already out of my memory that quickly where I was just like, did, what does he do? He, does he do a crane kick? No, no, he does some shitty CGI flip or stunt flip. I don't know. Probably CGI. Oh, and then the guy's face, the kids, the kid, he kicks his face goes the wrong way. Yeah. Um, if you, I, I kind of did the same. I was like, wait a minute. Did, did it? Did he kick left face? Go yeah, no, yeah. that was wrong. Um, they do this thing in the final fight too, where they have like the replay board, and he keeps looking up at it. And again, this is you can tell it's just made for the lowest common denominator because all they do is just like keep cutting back to the replay. So two seconds after he does this flip and kick, you're like, oh, that was. I mean, that was kind of cool, I guess. And then they're like, wait, did you think it was cool? How about, how about we replay it for you? Did you forget what happened? Okay, I'll replay it for you. Don't worry. Don't worry. It's grainy and lower quality footage, and it's actually a camera pointing at a screen to do it. But we did it. We we gave that to you. You're welcome. And I was like, no, nope, didn't ask for that. Didn't want no. it. <laughs> and it just, it didn't have any of the, the imprint like they're just copying the take off your jacket put on your jacket right. take off you're like okay but i know where you're going with this now like they already did this they did I, the wax on wax off the paint up paint down like i oh cool whereas when you're a kid or at least watching the first one you're kind of like what's how's this gonna play out okay wax on wax off i don't get it how's this all and then it comes together but it's I don't know. I, I can't say that I am generally a fan of this this movie. Uh, if you want to know. How, no, go I, ahead. I would I would like to. Th there's there's a couple of things that I want to uh, touch on before we just just to talk through a couple of things. Um, the, the one thing that I want to make sure I, I elaborate on in this with the 2010 in particular was that you do actually get to see Jaden Smith do a little bit of training in it, right? Like he's actually doing some karate moves, Kung Fu moves, I guess I should say 
and in the aforementioned, you know, wall of China scene and that type of stuff like that, you do actually get to see him do that. One of my pet peeves with the original was you get to see Ralph Macchio sand a whole bunch of stuff and do some waxing. And then there's one scene where uh, he and Pat like finally put it all together, right? Like he's doing the wax on wax off, showing him how it was teaching him techniques. And then they're like, and smash cut to his birthday celebration, then smash cut to the tournament. Like you, I rewatching it. That was one thing that bugged me was just like, he never, he never does any. We never see him do karate. Like you literally don't until the tournament. At least they worked that in uh, to the newer one, where you know, okay, you got to see him train a little bit, get better. You kind of saw some progress as opposed to just like him going into a wave and jean shorts. But you, <laughs> you you saw a little bit there. So kudos to him there. At least I guess you know you could do that. The thing that I want to ask you before we get into some of the box office stuff because I, I just have to know what are your thoughts on this whole mysterious uh, sensei teaching them a lesson that they don't understand right away. So this this is, I think the original Karate Kid probably kicked this off or at least brought it to the forefront as sort of a, you know, a trope where it's like, oh yeah, you're going to do wax on wax off. And then, you know, oh man, it all comes together. Why was he doing this? Oh, because this teaches him the blocks and this stuff. And then take your jacket on, take your jacket off, all that kind of shit like that. Like, why wouldn't you just look at the kid and be like, hey, this is actually part of your training and it's going to teach you something. So, so do it. Because I got to imagine that most kids would just be like, I'm just taking off my jacket. Um, okay, fuck you. I'm out. I'm going to go to a different dojo. There's like 14 of them on the street corner. So I, why, why should I stay here? Well, and see, and that's the big difference that between the first one and the second one, in, in if you remember in the first one, before he trains Daniel, he makes Daniel promise. Right. You do what I say. And it was a scene. It was kind of this first real, again, because we haven't seen Drunk Miyagi yet. Mm-hmm. This was the first real kind of human side to Miyagi that you see. And it was this promise that he made to him. Whereas right. in the first one, it was like, pick up your coat. Pick it up. And it's yeah. it, we're centered around this kid having this just overall shitty attitude. He treats his mom like garbage, who by the way is Taraji P. Henson. We haven't mentioned it yet. She's amazing. I love her in just about everything she does. Um, This is a garbage role for her. In my opinion, she's barely in the movie. She's not highlighted very well. So she's overqualified for that role. She's wholeheartedly overqualified. I have a feeling that she is friends with Will Smith in some way. They needed some clout Uh, again, box office. Um, so I'm assuming this was this again. I don't know. I don't know her, but not my not just like you said, you said it perfectly. She's overqualified for this. Mm-hmm. But I, I think they made a big deal in the first one about yes. doing what I say, listening. And it was again, this was a, the pioneering. This is kind of that first time you're seeing this in a movie, uh, in a karate movie. And by the time we see it in the Jaden Smith one, they they miss that human component to it that that agreement part that you're going to do what i say you're going to listen no matter what no questioning and basically see how far i can push you until you break and then that's really what happened in both but there just didn't have that in the in the remake well and i think, think- yeah, no, I, I I agree, and I think one of the things that I definitely want to want to touch on is I think that it it helps in the first one 
that he has this mystery about him. But you're seeing, and and I think that the lack of Daniel actually doing karate on screen prior to the 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 tournament comes at the expense of this part of it shows progress and what's being done, right? The sanding, you can see that, the, that they're redoing this whole gorgeous backyard, the, the fence and the painting and everything like that. He's able to redo these old cars that Marita had been, re, had been working on. And then he gets the spoil of being able to take one of them. One of them is his birthday present. You know, it's this great touching scene where it's like, Oh my God, I get to do this. That's incredible. And you see this work being done toward it. That isn't just making him, better at karate it is this weird building character type of thing i guess if you want to call it that but there, there, there's a there's a payoff to it right there's it comes at the expense of seeing him actually do karate but really realistically do i want to watch ralph macchio try to fumble his way through karate moves no i'm probably okay with not seeing him do that it works well in the second one like you said it's just not really earned it just doesn't go anywhere they do it because that's the, the first one did and even though this isn't a remake maybe necessarily but it is it's it's just lessened because there isn't that that scene that you you nailed it there isn't that scene where he is promising to do whatever he can or that that you know like hey you're going to do this and honestly i think too it's it the the impact of jackie chan's story is lessened i've noticed this as we've done this podcast especially that when a movie is remade you're you're losing one big element to the movie that is the time that it came out so when you go back and look at the original karate kid you have pat marita's character and he they you know he loses his wife in the japanese internment camp that happened in the u.s like that's something that doesn't get talked about a lot so ballsy to to bring that up but it's a world war ii it's this great touchstone of an era where you have this perfect timing where he could be this old person who lost somebody in this great war jackie chan is not even drunk because it's pg and he got into an argument and distractedly drove like yeah it sucks that you lost your per it's not that it's a tragedy but in the in movie terms it's not enough of a tragedy for me to really feel that bad about it versus the the heightened you know miyagi drunk going through this great tragedy about a, an internment camp and wearing his uniform as he's drinking and all this other stuff you know so that's i guess that's my quick diatribe of just like it there's you're losing something when you remake this because you just end up watering down so many elements that came together for this first one and all you're trying to do is hit those milestones those story touch points of yep he's older uh asian dude helping him train angry lonely go as opposed to a lot of the table setting that gets put in around this that is just sort of present in a lot of these. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more on that. And to kind of build on that, I saw you see it coming. You know what? You you see him <laughs> drunk. Like he comes in and he sees a bottle and he's smashing a car. And you're like, here comes the story about his wife and kid. Because right. earlier she asked him, uh, Taraji P. Henson asked, do you have kids? And he just kind of like, no. And you're like, oh, there's more to that story because I've seen a movie before. And it's just lost it. It lost the the mystique, the mystery that the first one had. Uh, and it just doesn't it it works, it's fine. And that's kind of where I am with it. It's fine. It's not yeah. like garbage. And Jackie Chan is fine as an actor in it too. It's not to knock against him. He does what he can with what he's working with. <laughs> this this whole movie is fine. 
uh, it's fine. It, it did cost $40 million uh, to make this. I'm assuming like 30 of that went to Jackie Chan, but it, yeah, $30 million. <laughs> Opening weekend, $55 million. Grossed in the USA, $176 million. But had a worldwide of three hundred, almost three hundred and sixty million, mm-hmm. so a pretty good worldwide yeah. uh, gross there. So it's it it did well overseas. They did hit that worldwide audience. I think they were looking for. Oh yeah, and you know it came in at number fifteen for the year. That year is Toy Story three, Alice in Wonderland, the remake, Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part one. Inception and then Shrek Forever After. Jesus, there's a forgotten movie. Oh, um, wow. But, you know, you talk about other things that are, you know, like going on in the box office at that point. This is, we're, we're into peak remake slash sequel, right? There's, the of the movies I just said, Toy Story 3 sequel, Alice in Wonderland remake, Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows sequel. Inception is the only one that's an original thought. Then it's Shrek sequel, Twilight sequel, Iron Man 2 sequel, Tangled retelling of fucking um, Rapunzel. Despicable Me and How You Train Your Dragon, I guess, are both, you know, originals, but those would later go on sequels. <laughs> you have stuff like Clash of the Titans, Chronicles of Narnia, Tron Legacy. All these things are happening right around that time where it's just, holy shit, remake, sequel, remake, sequel, remake, sequel that whole year. So, I mean, yeah. it keeps us in business. Apparently. <laughs> <laughs> And we got a lot of shit to talk about. (laughs) And it was, you know, it was fairly well received too. The original Karate Kid uh, critics really tended to like it. Critics, it's 89% fresh on Rotten Tomatoes. And honestly, the 2010, 66% fresh. You know, it's not great, but it's not bad. It's not as bad as some of the other shit that we've, you know. Oh, we've talked about way worse movies. (laughs) Um, I my negativity goes more towards the creativity, the just overall redundancy of the same exact movie, same exact theory behind it. So and again, I don't know how you would remake this any better, um, but I do sure shit know a reboot uh, has been doing much better received <laughs> than than the remake of a classic, right? And that's what I think the original Karate Kid is. It it is a classic. Yeah, well, and I, you know, I don't know if I would necessarily again not having the nostalgia for it. I don't know if I would go so far as to say it's a classic, but I do. I I will contend that I don't think you can truthfully remake this because just because of that era the time that it hit it is in the 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 peak 80s montage directed by the fucking king of the 80s montage the man who created the the sports montage like that it's got the uh you know classic bully archetypes that don't really work that well nowadays because it's just not really how kids are so you kind of yeah lose that. some of the things it's like yeah you kids would like be going to jail yeah, maybe uh, pressing I mean, charges nowadays. This isn't how this works anymore. Maybe that's um, part of the reason why they had to set it in China too, because you can be a little more lax with that stuff. I don't know. I don't know Chinese culture, so that's. I'm just. I'm shooting shooting blanks here. I have no idea. But yeah, like again, like I said, with the Pat Morita being of that perfect age in the movie, being depicted as the person who you know experienced World War II and went through some of that stuff. You know, it's just like there's there's a lot of stuff that culminates in all of that working really well. Uh, and then that just doesn't translate into this era without some serious reworking, which they clearly didn't do because they just 
redid what happened in the first one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's um Yeah, I don't know. We should uh we should grade this bad boy and I was just gonna say any final thoughts thought. before we go break this down. No, uh, I love the first one. I do I do think it's a classic based just simply on the cultural imprint it has left. But overall, this is the new one's fine. Yeah. That's not where I stand. Yeah. I am yeah, I can I definitely would not argue against it being a classic uh, based off of what we've talked about, you know. It, I I can see it. Uh anyway, getting into a quick breakdown, we do like to try to score these things against each other just using some uh, a few different uh, categories that we can try to compare and contrast the two. Uh we'll be going into this right now. So Paul, what are your thoughts on comparing the casts of the two film? Who do you think uh who do you think had some better actors and stuff in there? Um, I'm going to go with the first one being better actors, just literally based on the drunken Miyake scene. Uh, I, I mean, again, earned him an Oscar nomination. Uh, his mom, Elizabeth Shue, just, I think that I am going to go with the first one for acting. I, yeah. And I, I would definitely agree with that for the, you know, the casts are just, and part of it is too is it's interesting i think if you would have looked at it at the time versus the 2010 at the time the 2010 had bigger names in it but the cast actually made it big based off of this a lot of the cast members did so this was a star launching role or star launching vehicle for several of the people in there so yeah i guess cast i i gotta go to the original the actual acting i think you just touched on it but um there's nothing that touches that Miyagi scene. So acting, I got to go with the original anyway. I'm pretty sure you will too. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, then what about like the direction slash script to this? What do you, what do you think of the, you know, the, the actual, you know, kind of value of that stuff? Yeah, I'm going to go with the original again on this one, just because again, for its original originality, excuse me. Um, they, they invented the wax on wax off. They, uh, you know, this, this is where a lot of cultural things that we've seen or have done come from. So I'm definitely going to have to say direction, John G. Alvinson, um, it, all of it goes to the, to the original. Yeah. And I have to agree with you on that too, because it, it, you're right. I, I made the comment before that this ain't exactly Shakespeare in that first one, but it does have many quotable quotes out of there. There, it's just it's it it's it's better. And as I described a bit when we were first talking about it too, it was really interesting. Some of the camera movements, all that stuff. The new one just kind of was it was it was fine, as we've said, it was fine. Uh, what about the production value of the two? What do you what do you think in there? So I'm going to go with the new one on this. Um, I, as I mentioned earlier, there were just some really cool shots of China. Uh, I thought the production value, again, not necessarily camera angles, but production value. Mm -hmm. it, it, there's really no doubt. It is the new one. It's, it's shot better. I, that's even if you compare the technologies to the time, it, it's in my opinion, it is hands down the, the newest one. I, I will I, give credit where it's due. I yeah, and I I hate it. I I feel I feel like it's just a cop out to agree with each other on all this. But damn it, I have <laughs> to agree with each other. I think we're just kind of lining up on it. It is uh, 
you touched on it a little bit with some of the scenes that are that are really interesting in like the Forbidden City and the the Great Wall of China, that type of stuff. It, it does lend a very nice forty million dollars is up there on the screen. I guess I can I can say that it does look nice at least. Um, last but not least, the you know we we like to culminate it in just enjoyment value. Did you actually enjoy watching these movies? Which one did you like better? Paul, I feel like I know your answer, but yeah, the original enjoyment valley. <laughs> oh, the original, yeah, the original was super fun. Uh, like I said, I went, I went deep. Uh, yep, uh, there's, yeah, that's it. I mean, it's pretty much, pretty much slam dunk for me at that one. Yeah, it makes for a boring thing to agree with you on every one of them, but I can't argue with it because you're just, it's, ah, I was it's you just, would. No, I, I'm not going to argue that the the original is just far more enjoyable to watch. Um, as much as I like uh jackie chan beating up 12 year olds uh that just have to go with it so we have to then of course come to the titular question paul was that really necessary karate kid 2010 i'm gonna say no uh i think this was a cash grab i think this was as you mentioned this was coming out in a time where a lot of remakes a lot of sequels are coming out and i think this was an attempt at a cash grab to try and grab the nostalgic people from the early 80s and no i do not believe this was necessary in any way shape or form i have to agree with you on that i just in addition to it just feeling like a, a total nostalgia um play it, it just felt like uh, i i want willow or willow <laughs> i want jaden smith to be this a star and i'm gonna shove him down your throat and and America did not agree. So that was, it was, it was just saying, have you seen my kid? Have you seen my kid? Yeah. Hey, I got a kid. Have you seen him? Have you seen my yeah. kid? I got a kid. Uh, yeah. Have you seen him here? Well, let, let me, let me, let me show you. <laughs> well, at least now we don't have to talk about that anymore. Uh, yeah. For anybody who has not listened to our show before, I can't believe that after this many episodes, but what we do now is we get to choose what our next episode is. And one of the caveats there is that it trades off every week and the person who does it reveals on the mic to the other one. So in this week, it is actually me that gets to choose it. Paul has no idea what I'm going to choose. Nope. And I get to reveal to you, Paul, do you like comic books? I feel like that's something that we've always agreed on, I'm a, right? I'm a, I'm a big fan of comic books, so, yeah, I'm, so I'm I'm liking where we're going here. So we have uh, comic books are a, a thing, a passion for both of us. And as everybody knows, as we were even mentioning, we were running down some of those box office things that the comic book movies are pretty prevalent right now. And they're hot. They're hot. They're, they're hot. There's been a lot of remakes, a lot of reboots, a lot of all kinds of stuff. And there are I hear, I hear those folks at Marvel have some stuff going on. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm not I'm not going with a Marvel one, though. Much as I love the Marvel movies, much as I love the Marvel comics, they are my comic of choice. Well, I they have haven't to, remade they haven't remade Howard the Duck yet, so we can't do it just yet. I am I wait with bated breath for that to happen. But there's a movie that is often thought of as kind of the, well, one of the, probably the original modern comic book movie that was ever made. And it was made by a man named Richard Donner back in the seventies. He produced a little movie about a super guy. You might know him as uh, Superman. So that was in 1978. And then. That's fair. I'm excited. Okay. You, you have. The hell was Go on. Up. In 2013, by a modern auteur. God damn you! Oh, God damn you! Zach 
Snyder. And he made a movie called Man of Steel, and I really want to dive into comparing and contrasting Richard Donner's upbeat and optimistic view of Superman and the gray Man of Steel. So, Paul, that's what we get to this, watch next. So this could be worse, actually. You know, this I, I cuss you out, but this could be so much worse because there is the Brandon Roth. Uh, you know... Um, I don't, so I, don't I have to ask, I have to, I just have to ask why we, what made you choose this one over the other, the, the Brandon Roth one? Um, I've, I don't want to give several people associated with that movie, Brandon Roth not included, uh, I don't want to give several people attention for that movie as the director and Lex Luthor actor that shall not be named are both massive pieces of shit. And as much as I may not like Zack Snyder, to the best of my knowledge, he's never, you know, been a pedophile. Well, and that's there are good. two of them in the in the in the one that you mentioned. So I figured let's just go with Man of Steel and avoid those topics altogether. Plus, it actually gets us the opportunity to start talking about some of the DC extended universe and maybe, you know, touch on some of that other stuff in there too. So I oh, I'm excited. A, I thought it was more of a talk piece uh, than than the other Superman Returns. That was it, right? I think it was Superman. Returns. It was Superman Returns, and I forgot it. Di- I actually forgot it was uh, directed by, a, yeah, directed by a pederast, and uh, the villain was a pederast. So, uh, yeah. I, my apologies for <laughs> even bringing up touchy subjects. I I did forget that this was a. Um, yeah, it's a garbage movie, so we can at least all agree on that, run by garbage people. Yeah, and I'm not saying that uh, Man of Steel is anything incredible, but that's also one of those that I think I watched it and it left my mind completely. And all of a sudden the other day I was just thinking about it, I'm like, man, Kevin Costner was in that movie. I should watch that again. <gasps> we could do it on the podcast. <laughs> I mean, it's it's scored by John Williams. I know we're getting way ahead of ourselves here, but I'm excited. This is great. These are these are great movies, in my opinion. So right. thank you. This is awesome. All right. Well, uh, look forward to that one. And uh, from everybody here, and was that really necessary? We thank you so much for listening. We love it. Please follow us on any social media stuff. Uh, keep in touch with us. And I'm Zach Buell. And I'm Paul Upshaw. Thank you so much for listening. We love you guys. Good night.